it was earnest enough, a fledgling economist who was also a person of Christian faith, noting how the first Christians disavowed ownership of private property and held all property in common, he asked the professor if there could be any similarity between primitive Christianity and communism. The venerable professor answered with his usual enthusiasm, Oh, yes, yes, yes. There is a fundamental agreement between primitive Christianity and communism. The Christian says, what I have is yours, and the communist agrees, what you have is mine. Sharing isn't always reciprocal, is it? Yet we do like to give, don't we? Especially to those dear to us. Generosity comes naturally to those for those whom we love, as in the case of grandchildren. Some of us grandparents are, are grieving the demise of Toys R Us. Just as we get to that season of life where we can really give them some business, they're going out of business. Don't worry, though. We are resourceful. We will find ways to find things for our grandchildren. We will do it because they have stolen our hearts. Without even knowing it, without even trying to do it, the gifts they give us are more valuable than anything we can find in any store. Yet we shop on. Our shopping is, is almost sacramental. It is an outward invisible sign of an inward impulse. Our children often tell us to back off on the buying. The little ones have enough, they say. Well, well, of course, we, we know that, we see that, we stumble over all the stuff every time we go to see them. But the truth is, our extravagance is not born of their need to receive, but of our need to give. And so it is with those whom we love. King David loved the Lord. And David lived in a wonderful house that he understood the Lord had provided for him. And having experienced firsthand the mishaps that can occur with a portable tabernacle, he proposed to build a permanent dwelling for the Lord, a house of cedar or of stone. And he told the prophet Nathan that he intended to do this. And Nathan said, well, that sounds great. Go and do it. And then that night, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said to Nathan, you tell David, I appreciate the gesture, but it's not necessary. I don't need a house. The Lord said to David, I cannot be confined in any house you would build for me. Instead of you building a house for me, David, I will build you a house. And your house will be a house that consists of you and of your descendants. I will give you a kingdom, and I will care for you, and you and your descendants will be my chosen people. 
and I will establish your house. So it is with our need to give to and to give for the Lord. However generous our gifts may be, they pale in comparison to the Lord's gifts to us. In this case, the giver is infinitely bigger than the gift. In fact, when it comes to the Lord, the giver is the gift. The very fact that we are noticed, the very fact that we are remembered is a gift beyond measure. So the Pauline writer says in Ephesians and to the Ephesians and to us, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. The Lord's promise to David is that he and his house will be remembered. They will be included. And without Christ, we would not share in that commonwealth of grace. Without Christ, we would be aliens from that commonwealth of inclusion. Without Christ, we would be strangers to that covenant without ultimate hope or any immediate or personal sense of God. Without Christ, we would be on the wall, wrong side of the wall and unable to get in. But in Christ, the wall that would divide us from the chosen ones has been broken down. The boundary has been extended to the uttermost In his death and resurrection, the Lord has accomplished the essential oneness of us all. We are included. We are among the chosen ones. God's gift to us is the gift of God's own presence. So that whatever else we may say about ourselves, we are God's beloved. And in that beatific sense of blessedness, our generosity is awakened. I am reminded of that old gospel hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Realizing the exquisite privilege of our place among those whom God favors, we are moved. We are moved to generosity. We are moved to give all we can. And I think of that little boy in that crowd on that day that Jesus fed the multitude. You heard the telling of the story from the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells it with his usual efficiency, leaving out things here and there. John includes the the part about the little boy. Mark describes Jesus being in a deserted place with a hungry crowd and bewildered disciples. Mark records that the disciples are distressed because there are so many people. It's late, they're hungry, and there's no food. And their solution is to send them away. Mark says that Jesus commands them, the disciples, to give these folks something to eat. And they say, how can we do it? Jesus says, well, look around and see what you have. What are your resources? 
and they find that they have five loaves and two fish. And John supplies the detail that the five loaves and the two fish belong to this lad. I think about that boy. I imagine that boy. On the one hand, he had more than enough for himself. I don't think any hungry boy could eat five loaves of bread and unless they were mighty small loaves and two fish. That's a lot of food for one person. And I imagine that someone in his family had prepared this for him. I think it probably was his mother. Mothers tend to give us more than we need, don't they? And so he had more than enough, maybe some to share with those who came unprepared, a cousin, a sister, a brother, an aunt or an uncle, or maybe a neighbor. He has more than enough for himself, but not nearly enough for this crowd. And he is in one of the most bedeviling dilemmas that we can face as would-be stewards. Because you see, at any given moment, most of us have way more than we need. And yet, very few of us, if any of us, have enough to meet the whole need, the total need. And so what are we to do when we have more than we need, but not enough to meet the whole need? At this point, we become calculating economists. We try to maximize our giving, our gifts, our resources. So what do we do? Do we just celebrate the fact that we have an abundance, we have more than we need, and do we just spontaneously give it? Or do we hold back and wait and see what others will do, lest our gift be somehow just lost and not able to do much good because others don't do their part? Or do we wait for a more opportune time, a more opportune circumstance, when perhaps our gift will, be, will make a bigger difference and a better difference? What do we do? Well, what does the boy do? Our children told us, didn't they? He gives what he has. He puts it in the Lord's hands. He makes it available for the Lord's use. He doesn't calculate. He doesn't hesitate. He just gives. Ever wonder why he does it? Here Mark makes, gives us a detail, I think, that makes a difference. Mark tells us that when Jesus saw, sees this crowd, he has compassion for them. And in the original language, the imagery there is very graphic, very vivid. It is literally that Jesus is moved with pity in the pit of his stomach. He feels compassion viscerally. Kindness wells up from down inside of him. And he is moved to do what he can for these people who have interrupted his retreat. 
It is a contagious compassion that comes through his very presence. And the ones who are paying attention sense, sense this. And I imagine the boy being right there in the middle of the crowd watching Jesus. His eyes fixed on Jesus. His ears open, his heart open, his mind open. And this little boy is moved by the same compassion that moved Jesus. And he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't worry that he has too little to meet the whole need. He doesn't worry that he has more than he needs. He doesn't have to be asked. He steps forward with a glad and generous heart. He offers up his five loaves and his two fish with no worry about how they will be used. He isn't calculating. He isn't cautious. He is moved by gratitude. His is a gracious giving. And in the Lord's hands, it makes all the difference. In the early service this morning, as we were singing praise to the Lord, the Almighty, I found myself noting that that hymn was written and the words and the melody written in the 1600s. And I found myself thinking of all the times and all the circumstances and all the people who'd ever sung that hymn and all the occasions at which it had been sung through all of those years. And I was glad that we were still singing it. And how much more this story of the feeding of the 5,000, the story appears in all four Gospels, and John tells us the little boy was the one who gave the five loaves and the two fish that started it all. And I think of how much hinged on that decision that he made on that day and how we are still here all these years later remembering and learning and celebrating and giving thanks. In a few weeks, we're going to share with all the whole Dauphin Way family what Dauphin Way needs to do ministry, what we need financially to do the work that we feel the Lord's called us to do and that we've agreed to do. We're going to offer this information in a spirit of honesty and transparency. Those disciples that day knew what the need was. You deserve to know what the need is. And how will we respond? Well, none of us are greedy communists, at least not to my knowledge. And I hope that we're not such miserly capitalists that we lapse into some sort of austere, calculating stinginess. And I don't think we will. I predict that Dauphin Way will respond to the need. 
that the need will be met. And the reason I predict that is because I believe, I really believe, that we are a grateful people. And that when we really ponder our lives and when we really think about who we are and whose we are, we realize that we are given the gift of eternal life. That we can come here on those occasions when we say farewell to one of our loved ones. And we can do that with confidence. And that when we think of our own eventual demise, we do that with confidence. And we know that that is a debt we can never repay. And we are grateful. We are profoundly grateful. And I believe that as we let that awareness percolate in our consciousness over the next few weeks, that we're going to be moved to generosity like we've never been before. We're going to say to the Lord, here I am. Here I am. I will go where you send me. I will give what you need from me because you have given yourself to me. And I have a place and we have a place in your kingdom among your people. And Christ in his death and in his resurrection has torn down the dividing wall of hostility and we are grateful to be included. And so that journey begins today, and it begins with the singing of this great hymn. It is a great hymn, Here I Am, Lord, number 593. As we sing this hymn together, I invite you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to work within you to make you like a boy who gave his all. Let us stand and sing number 593.